0: Welcome back to that Rugby Podcast, hosted by the Sports Booth and the one and only Luke Bowden and Husey. Husey, 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 hey. Husey shall we get straight to it? Uh, obviously yeah. a weekend for me to enjoy, uh, a weekend for you to probably be a little sour. Now, I will state that I went to the Wallabies game in an All Blacks jumper. Not this one, but the new All Blacks jumper that I was obviously have bought and purchased. I then proceeded to take off my jacket at the end of the game, look around at all the Wallaby supporters and say, "Bring on the Bledisloe, bring on the Bledisloe, bring on the Bledisloe. yes." And that was my Saturday night, getting pelted and yelled at by angry Wallabies fans who have been through yeah, I was gonna strife. Say,
1: that's in parramatta as well, like that's the, that's not the it's not the nicest of Wallaby Crowds there on Paramount. Uh, so, look. The, the People have been stabbed to death in the Westfields, there, is all I'm going to say. So you're lucky, I, I, I came out lucky unscathed.
0: I came out unscathed probably because it was a Wallabies game and not a Kangaroo's game. But yeah. I came out unscathed. The Wallabies did not, though. So, shall we? Let's start with them, my friend.
1: Well, yeah, look, let's first go to man of the match for that game, which was Yako Piper. I mean,. What a performance. <laughs> uh, and of course, people will say that um, you shouldn't put yourself in a position where a refereeing decision decides the outcome. But it wasn't just one refereeing decision. It was multiple across the whole game. And it's the, the referee put the Wallabies in a position to not be able to compete in that game. Now, like when possession in the first half is 70-30, that's, that's just wrong, especially when it's a Tier 1. A tier one. It's just unnecessary pings all the time. And don't get me wrong. Wallabies weren't spotless by any stretch of the imagination, right? But when it's so blatantly one-sided like that, and you can't tell me the Argentinians weren't doing the same things that the Wallabies were doing, if not worse, at points. Uh, it's just, you know, they've got that uh, Latino fire where they argue back more. It seems, it seems <laughs> like the more that they chatted to the ref, the more that the things went their way. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's something for Slipper and Hoops to take into the next game. Um, to to chat more to the referee and complain more, because that seems to be the way that, that's how the South Africans win, that's how the Argentinians won that one. The Argentinians played very well and very hard as well, don't get me wrong, but far out. That was a frustrating game to watch. Now, there's definitely areas the Wallabies could step up and improve, and there were things that I liked. I mean, we saw Marky Mark, just what a standout. Next time Vunavalo sees gold, it'll be uh, watching someone else in an Olympic medal ceremony. (laughs) He's not putting on a he's not putting on a gold jersey again unless he's in the stands um, or he goes and plays for goes back to the NRL and puts on like a Titans jersey or something, you know, like the, he, sh- he shouldn't see Wallabies colors again, because the difference between what Marky Mark brought to the table defensively under the high ball and things like that inter- interception try uh, and offensively as well. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, real sour note for the Wallabies. And I think this is probably overlooked for the impact it had on the game, was losing Len Ikitau early, right? Totally. I see outside center, one of the only players that couldn't be really replaced. Like if either of their centers went down, hard fix to replace. Um, Carter Gordon though, I think he did a magnificent job. He's what a player. He's, his little bits that he's been in Wallaby's colors have been electric. Anytime he touched the ball, he was making stuff happen. Um, well, I think based on, because he didn't start this week, I don't think he's going to get the start for the though, which disappoints me. Um because he's shown that he's a great great playmaker with the ball in his hand. Quade's looked a bit off the pace to me. Uh, it looked a bit unready. Um, A lot of times, there's a lot of times when Nick White was would make a play where he'd take it from the ruck, run across the face a little bit, and then go to pass it back inside. And I think two out of three times Quaid either dropped it or wasn't um fast enough to hit that gap. I think if you've got Carter Gordon pushing through that hole, that's a big line break that could be made there. And he's a bit more physical than Quaid as well. I loved how he mustered up in defence; just absolutely took it to the Argentinians. Um, so I think, and you said either last week or the week before that he is uh, he is the first time you've sort of seen Wallabies ten in a while that's scared you, and like yes. I, I, I he definitely put that more on display this week. Um, you know, other other my other real high point for this one uh, before we get into sort of low points was when Angus Bell came on; just look like an absolute unit. Ran the ball really hard, breaking tackles, and definitely looks like he's back to, to full fitness and form. And if he can keep that up, and if Tupo comes back uh, relatively healthy as well, that front row rotation is going to be deadly. You know, Slipper and Alatoa, who had decent games, definitely better than their Springbok efforts, backed up by Bell and Tupo. I think, yeah, Bell and Tupo to close out a game would be immense. Or even you just do a full South African system, half-half. You yeah. know, 40 minutes Slipper and Alatoa, 40 minutes Bell and Tupo. Crazy.
0: Totally. Totally. Look, yeah, I mean going back to to Yako Piper and as well, uh, from a neutral standpoint um I don't want to say he favored one side, but there was definitely the difference in watching the All Blacks game beforehand even just on TV and watching the Wallabies in Argentina. And it wasn't down to quality of teams as as much as the other two teams were quality, there was a a deciding factor and that was that Jaco Piper nitpicked the fuck out of that game. Like, he just, every two seconds, he had the opportunity he could. Like, he could have let things go, which he didn't. And, and I, I, I the, at every ruck, you could probably call a penalty. At every single ruck, you could probably call a penalty. Somewhere or somewhere along the lines, there could be a penalty. We watched the All Blacks, the first seven minutes was just non-stop. Like, it was incredible to watch. That's the rugby we want to be watching. I went to Argentina obviously Wallabies, and I kind of sat there and I was like, eh. other than like the finish and a couple of really good tries, that was a pretty average yeah. game of rugby to, to witness. And, and that disappoints you, anyone a little bit. Like, you know, that's not what you you want. the, the uh, You want the teams to sort it out on the field and not the referee. So I think, yeah, I can see the frustration from the Wallabies fans, yourself included, with Jaco Piper. I think I'd be the same if it happened to New Zealand. Um, but I do think, yeah, I think it was an all-round poor performance rather than focused on you guys. But I can understand, especially coming away with the result. <laughs> when you look at the numbers like you did as well, it, 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 it skews into the Argentina favour uh, uh, totally. But Which yeah. which
1: makes it, yeah, which is really hard. Like, you, this is a new coach that's come in. Like, yeah, sure, Eddie's a veteran coach, but it's his second game with the team. Now, you're trying to establish patterns. You're trying to see what your players are doing. And when they're just getting picked, and what you said, nitpicking is, think is very accurate for... Absolutely rubbish stuff. How are you supposed to assess that? How are you? How can you look at that player when you believe that they didn't do anything wrong and tell them what to correct? Like, what are they? What What are they supposed to correct? Like, yeah, of course there are there were instances where they could correct some stuff. Don't get me wrong, but the other ones when it's just you know just not on. It's like, what are you supposed to do there when the other side is doing something and they're getting away with it and you do it and you get you either give the enemy the opposing team an advantage. By not being able to play on equal terms, or you get penalised for it, which also gives the opposing team the advantage. So you're playing with one arm tied behind your back, and uh, that's that's very frustrating. You can see some of that frustration creep into the game. Um, but yeah, for, for me, it, it was it was it was a hard watch, and I think the Wallabies did well to keep it as as close as they did. And even the last try, the fact that there wasn't any review of the knock on that the Wallabies, where the captain is saying, "Can you have a look at it?" And the referees just ignored him. It's just, did, pretty, you know, that's that's.
0: Did you watch on TV? Different. Obviously, you watched yep. on TV because at, at the ground, no one could understand what was happening. Like, did they ever? And I still haven't seen it. Did they ever send it up? Was it ever sent well, up?
1: Well, they they did. So they they only looked at the grounding of the ball. They didn't look at the plays preceding it. Ah, which I is see. Where the, the wallabies had said there was a knock on, I which see. is. You know, that's where, I don't know, the NRL, If the fucking NRL can review every try and the lead up to it for uh, knock-ons and things like that. Why can't rugby union, why can't international test matches do that? Like Totally. I,
0: I get it. I, and, and if it was, I don't know how many phases, again, I, I missed it completely at the ground, how many phases or what. And I think there can be a limit to how far we go back. And, and in the end, you've got to leave it up to the referee. But, yeah, it just… I it think seemed, it was literally the
1: one before, the one before which is which, what was very frustrating. Exactly, yeah.
0: And that, and, that, and that's where you start to get issues. And I, the, the issue I had with this game, and it's not no one's fault. It's rugby's fault, if, if, if it's anyone's fault. As you'll go back, World Rugby we could co- probably go back, watch Jaco Piper's game and go, every decision he made was correct. Like, like, Again, and I'm not saying that from a point of view that, yes, he may have made a couple of penalties where if we went back and reviewed every penalty, it was wrong. But the his general decisions were correct. It was just, as I said, nitpicking where... You can either decide... is applied. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How he applied those rules as well. Like uh, It's going to make it really interesting when the Rugby World Cup comes around and how teams, you know, I guess, change with the referees. Like, how do you... Mm. Because that's something that, I guess, the Wallabies didn't do well. And again, it's not something you... Can go in that prepared for is how do you dictate to the referee and what's he what he is applying to the game because you have to start doing that now like yep. we that's every international team has to be like how was the referee re- refereeing this game and how can we stay in his good side of the box so again as much as a lot of negatives can come from a loss to Argentina at home and you've mentioned some really good positives I think Aussie can still take a lot more out of this game than. Yep. Not take out of it, if you know what I mean. Like, like as bad as a, a loss is, they took they take so much out of this game. Like you see, Carter Gordon, you know, playing in the centres with you know a dual playmaker role wasn't a bad setup for you know in the end when he like if I'm Eddie Jones now I'm more confident carrying a six two bench with what Carter Gordon gave me in a second five. So there's lots of things I think Eddie learned, and like, that's why I think again Eddie's so confident going into into this All Blacks game that they can turn it around quickly.
1: And you it just is a step, big step forward from the game against the Springboks, right? Totally. Like you could see the the team development, the strategy change, um, as well. It's again more roster pairing down, more learning who's gonna who's suitable for my style of rugby. And I think the matter of when Carter Gordon becomes a starting ten is a when and not an if. I think it will happen at some point this year, especially to, as we head towards the World Cup. I think the closer we get to that, the more likely. He is to start. I I just really don't want him. I would prefer him to start the Bledisloe at home rather than the Bledisloe in New Zealand. I right? I'm
0: I'm I'm actually going to go against you here now. The 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 the, yeah? the 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 decision's different. So I wouldn't start him at the Bledisloe at home, and I would start Quaid. And if you win, you're obviously going to start Quaid again at Bledisloe too. Like like, don't get me wrong. But if you lose, it then means you can start. Gordon, away from home in that Bledisloe too with no pressure of winning the Bledisloe, bringing the Bledisloe back, if you know what I mean. So I think you get... Bring him off the bench again, twenty minutes towards the end of that, especially in an All Blacks environment, if the game's close, or even if the game's not close, like he'll get experience in that MCG game, get in front of a what's going to be a massive crowd at the MCG, and then if you win, okay, cool, we we don't change anything for the second Bledisloe, because we've got a chance to win the fucking Bledisloe, You don't do that. If you lose, you go back to him and you go, here's your chance. But if you can beat the All Blacks in New Zealand, you're 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 signing your name into that number ten jersey for for the rest of your life, bud. Yep. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, fair point. Fair point. It's, a, it's very good reasoning. Um, and I think, you know, there's other roster things that he's got to consider now. You know, Len out until just before the World Cup, until the game against France before the World Cup. Uh, so, you know, do you recall Hunter Paisami or he might be injured as well? I think not, he's injured as well because
0: he didn't play in the Tonga. A well, I think a it's game. Parisi then. It has to be because Parisi's um, been on tour. See, he went to South Africa yeah. with them. So, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, yeah. I uh, it just
1: about. Yeah, so mm, I'm not sure if he is injured, injured or not. It looks like he got. Uh, here we go. Resign Wallaby sets injury return date. Um,
0: Currently, QZ's just looking for the return doesn't, of injury prone onto not
1: It doesn't say. No.
0: Well, look, we're going to assume he's yeah. injured. No. So if he's not injured, you probably yeah. look at a recall just to him in the squad. If he is injured, it has yeah. to be Parisi. Um, because I don't think... I would
1: even say yes, you put Parisi into the start and then you bring Paisami into the extended squad or something like that. Um, you know, the the Australia A team, I mean, we could talk about that disaster in a little bit. But, um, uh, yeah, look, I think then as well, you've got to look at some of the... I think the starting lineup did... Well, for what happened with the injury, right? Um, except for Tom Wright, um, I, Andrew Calloway can't get back from injury soon enough. For a moment, like, Tom Wright is consistently making mistakes at the back, right? Um, I would have much rather Rhys Hodge for this game, much in, for for most games now. In fact, like I just I think Tom Wright has got strong performances on the wing. Uh, he's a great, uh, you know. I think Corabetti, um and the one you need to say are starting wingers, and then writes your backup winger. Um, and especially when you come to World Cup, your backup wingers are going to play because you're not going to want to play Corbetti every single game. Yep. You know, in their pool, they've got Wales, Fiji, and someone else. Georgia right?
0: and um, Portugal.
1: Yeah, look, you're not going to be. I know the pool um, off, off by heart, but <laughs> yeah. uh, let me, let me, let me make Confirm sure you're that. right.
0: Yeah. You, you I are am very, very nice. <laughs> very
1: nice. Very nice
0: points in New Zealand.
1: So look, you're probably not, you're not going to want to start Corabetti for all of those games. You're not going to want to start no longer for all those games. You're going to be rotating through some of your depth there. So Wright's still going to get a chance to go and he's still going to be a valuable addition to that team as well. Um, and, you know, even if you don't want to go with the 6-2 split, you want to go with a 5-3 split, he can be that, that extra player there because he can cover those positions. But he's not starting caliber... Fullback. He just I keeps think, making mistakes in crucial moments of the game.
0: I think what we've, and we've worked this out already, and I think most of Australian fans have worked this out, Tom Wright's got a higher ceiling than Reese Hodge when it comes to the fullback position. Like, he could bust the game open, yep. definitely win you a game. However, he's also got a lower floor than Reese Hodge, where Reese Hodge sits in that middle where it's like, you, you know what you're getting from Hodge, whereas Wright, it's like, one game he could break a game open and win you the game. Next game he's making free errors and really helping the other team into it. So I think that's that's what Eddie's trying to work out here is how much can he trust Hodge uh, uh, right? Because Callaway yes injured, but other than Hodge, it's like who's that fullback that's going to be able to break a game open for me? Like I'm just
1: look, and I think that what what you what you consider though at the moment is that you've got with Korobedi and Noongani it now, you've got two genuine playmaking wings. We don't necessarily need your fullback to be that playmaker as well. Maybe just a facilitator and setting up the wingers to have those great runs. You've got Karevi as well, who's making plays. Parisi when he's on his game and he's healthy can be a great outside set of playmaker as well. Like In games like that against Argentina where you can afford to have that safety net at the back. And I think even against South Africa it would have been great to have that safety net at the back i mean i understand look i i i I don't actually question eddie's decision to start hodge inside center and karevi off the bench for that south africa one because he's being cautious ahead of the world cup right any other year i would have second guessed that for a year in which there's a world cup coming up and you need your players healthy and it's your first game coaching and he's had a major injury before fine that is that is what it is Whatever I think that when you put Karevi on, what I do question is why leave Tom Wright on and uh, not move Hodge to fullback at Karevi at 12 at that point. Then when you could see Wright wasn't doing anything um, and his even his speed wasn't making up enough for Vunavalu's shortcoming. Um, but yeah, I I understand the logic there for, for that. I think for this next game against New Zealand with the bladders low, uh, Andrew Kelloway might be uh, might be back by then. I don't. I don't know. This is one thing that also frustrates me with rugby as well. Like you look at other sports, injury news is like clockwork. You could see exactly how long they're out for. Every it's it's everywhere. Especially NFL is the one I look at. They have like injury trackers and things NRL like that. NRL has Where's it as
0: well. NRL's NRL as well. Where's that for,
1: for union? It's so hard to find out when people are injured. Um, you know. Um I and yeah, what so you, maybe Callaway's back for that, maybe he's not, but I still think you can't put Tom Wright back there.
0: What do you reckon about a, like a Carter Gordon-Quaid Cooper ten fifteen 15 combo? Just
1: uh, out of interest,
0: I, not, mm. not saying throw them in the deep end this time. I'm just just wanting to hear your thoughts on it. Do you think that could... Like, we've just seen Richie Moanga, Daymack, with Bowden Barrett at the back absolutely rip it up, and, B- and Bowden and Barrett hasn't played a game at fullback all year. Could Carter Gordon make that switch? He hasn't obviously got the speed of Barrett, but he's got the kicking, the, the IQs up there as well.
1: Yeah. uh Look, I, I, I'm, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go for it. You know, for me, Carter Gordon needs more experience just playing as a Wallaby um, before he starts doing positional rotation. I mean, he did it for this game with center, but playing center and starting, at, you know, coming in center for an injured player and starting at fullback against the All Blacks is two totally different propositions. Totally. You know. Um, Quade Cooper, I don't think he could play fullback. I yeah. think he's probably a bit too old, probably lost a little bit too much pace now. Um, and to be honest, I, I. I, It's a bit unfortunate for the Wallabies that in the two games that they've played, they haven't really been able to do the Quade Cooper hand off to Carter Gordon, um, like a regular 10 to back up 10. Um, they were sent throughout the Super Rugby Pacific season. You know, I want to see how that fact goes. You know, Quade Cooper steering the ship for the first part, and then you get your. Um, you get your Carter Gordon in that in that I just what I would rather c- Carter Gordon to feel out the the competition a bit more first. In the future, maybe if that's a skill set he shows he has, uh, you know, maybe um, if he if he can be as good as as Bowden Barrett, you know, why not? You yeah, know, like this kid's uber talented, yeah. uber uber talented. Next big thing out of Australian rugby, it looks like. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe maybe in the future that is something that he can they can consider. But again, I think he's better off. And I think it would be better off for Australia with him in the 10 and another player like Kelloway or Pattaya in 15. Or if Suali'i comes over <laughs> next year, put him there. Max Jorgensen, if he's healthy and showing he can play fullback that well, put him back there as well. Jorgensen adds a little bit more size to his frame. He could be a really good fullback. He showed that for the Waratahs this year when the their biggest question is about his defence with his small frame. And he was a key defensive part of the Waratahs' efforts and they fell apart without him. So, but I think... They've got options, and I think Carter Gordon will be best for the Wallabies in 10.
0: Shall we get off your Wallabies, you losing fools, and move on to the Mighty All Blacks? Yeah. (laughs) Because we took down the beast. That is the Springboks, and it was glorious. It was one of the best games we've played in a long, long time. Um, Raced out to a 17-0 start with Shannon Frizzell, flicking on his beast mode meter and turning it on. And Will Jordan returning from injury to really break the hearts of the Springboks. So, look, I I don't hate the Springboks, obviously. I, it's a competitive rivalry, us and the All Blacks. Um, but a lot was being said, you know. They sent over 13 players early. They felt like they were up for it. Um, it was really good to put them in their place. Now... I don't think this changes whose favourites going into the World Cup. Like I think of on neutral ground it's a completely different ball game. I loved a lot of the tactics we used. I, I think everyone expects New Zealand to run the ball and all of a sort of our kicking game was on point. Will Jordan contesting, Mark Taler, two tall wingers, um, contesting, Aaron Smith Man, I, I, I don't know, he's like 36 now and he's still just quite clearly the best 10 in New Zealand rugby by a mighty mile. When he, he came off and Finlay Christie came on, we, we definitely lost a little and, and just what Aaron Smith is doing will be sorely missed in the coming years. But, I mean, I couldn't sit there and watch that game and point to you one bad all-black performer. It was a total team effort, um, whereas the Springboks, it was different. You could definitely point out a couple of players who didn't have good games, which is what makes me go, look, this is definitely not us going in as favourites to this World Cup now. This is a good win, showing a blueprint of how to beat them, but Diolande had a bad game. Visa had a bad game at number eight. Um, I don't think FAF had that good of a game for what FAF's standards is. Um, Wil- Wilmser, uh the 10, definitely didn't have a good game, and... Um, it showed it showed hundred a Pollard is, is missing big time. So uh, look, it's, it's it's interesting. It's going to spark a lot of conversations in the bot camp. I think about what they are going to do. I loved um, the fact that Razy was on um, Erasmus was on a bit of a back foot. Where someone asked him about the ref and he goes asked him about the performance of the ref and he goes it wasn't as bad as our performance. So uh, obviously, still got some jokes in him, which is good for rugby. Uh, but, yeah, a good New Zealand win. What can I say?
1: Look, I, look, I love nothing more than seeing the Springboks humbled. So, yeah, um, <laughs> know, I, I don't really want to say too much else because we're playing, you know, so I don't want to say anything nice, to be honest. No, uh, Look, it's, Fair it enough. just shows I think a lot of people – Bring on the blue no, no, I think one thing that is actually really impressing me about the All Blacks at the moment is that um, – and I think this is probably a benefit to how they've handled their coaching decision, right – is that Ian Foster is playing without any pressure on him right now. He's not coaching for his job, right? He knows he's every game is essentially his last one, right? This, he's never going to coach against um, South Africa in the Rugby Championship again, right? He might face him in the World Cup, but he's not going to face him in the Rugby Championship again. I think the All Blacks are looking really dangerous, and I think the fact that he doesn't have that pressure on him <clears throat> any longer, whereas you know last year, people were calling for his job ahead of the World Cup. Now it's just like, I'm coaching this last year um whatever happens happens and no matter what i'm gonna get work somewhere else next year yeah totally (laughs) i I can just coach without any pressure i can coach the way i want to coach i can make the decisions i want to make um and you know what the worst that can happen is is i can get fired early right i'm already leaving right so uh what you know what's the worst that can happen really And I think that's that's really that's been a real positive for the All Blacks as well. And I think actually the All Blacks players are showing that they respect Foster and are playing hard for him. They want to send him out um, a winner. They want to send him out with a, a World Cup win as well. And they want it for themselves. They want it for their for their veterans um, totally. as well, who might not be around for the next one. Um, you know, they think the the All Blacks are really hungry for um, for a World Cup. You know. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I think that it, it's, it's, it's New Zealand are looking very dangerous. Yeah,
0: and you've said it really well like uh, thinking about, especially uh, Foster, I think, yeah, he's making the decisions that he's always wanted to make and just going, you know what, I'm doing it, this is who I am, this is our DNA. But you've got Brody Rattatic leaving, Sam Whitelock leaving, um, Aaron Smith leaving, Richie Moonga leaving, Bowdoin Barrett probably heading overseas, uh, a few more big names in and around that are. This is their last hurrah. Shannon Frizzel, another standout. Probably wishes he hadn't signed the contract. Came,
1: likely his last.
0: Likely. Well, likely his last World at 31 Cup. 31 years old. Shannon Frizzel uh-huh. probably wish he would signed the contract after that game, because I imagine his his pay would have gone up a couple hundred grand because of what he just did. But I yeah, a lot of those players are playing like this is my last year in the Black Jersey. And like you said last year we were saying this is the worst all black team ever. And now we're right in the good spot to be leading up to a Rugby World Cup beating South Africa on home turf. Go over and play them and twicken them once more before the World Cup. That'll be really interesting to see. But it's got a lot of people, I think, excited. Because, as we said, there's a couple of players that I think didn't play well for South Africa, and I think they'd they'd admit that themselves. They know they've got more in the tank, which means, like, like I said, we played really well. I don't know if we've got a lot better performances in the tank. Like, that was our best. Now, when South Africa are up to their best and we're at our best, how that will go will be really interesting. Yeah, 100%. Australia A, eh, mate, do you want to talk about this disaster now?
1: Uh, just before we move on um, <laughs> to that, uh, um, just, it's some interesting news that's just popped up uh, on my feed. Breaking news. Um, Johnny Sexton has copped a three-match ban for... Um, bringing the game into dispute by abusing none other than Jaco de Piper uh, <laughs> after their after Leinster's loss to La Rochelle uh, in the Champions Cup final on May 20th. Um, European Professional Club Rugby's Disciplinary Committee said sex is tirade included pointing his finger at them and shouting at them something to this effect. It's a disgrace. You guys can't get the big decisions right. Probably accompanied by expletives, most likely the F word. Um, which is, I think, you know... it's interesting that they're saying probably and include something to this effect without actually quoting him fully and still being able to ban him for three games. It's kind of, you know, for for me, it's like you should be pretty certain about what he's saying and not saying, oh, he said something to this effect, but you should be pretty solid in what he said and should be pretty certain if he's used expletives or not because that that, that adds an element to it as well for me. If he did swear, then that adds more to it for me. Um, and especially how they swore. Like the content of what you said there with those swearing is important. Like if you say it's a fucking disgrace, you guys can't get the big decisions right. Or it's a disgrace, you fucking guys can't get the big decisions right. There's a difference between that as well because one's more personally abusive than the other. But I just think it's quite interesting that the same referees copped a lot of flack about his style of refereeing by uh, some world-class players not that far apart.
0: It is interesting as well because, and a lot of people were talking about this, he's been banned for free games. That ban ends when the World Cup starts because they've got free warm up games. Erasmus got banned for a whole year for a couple of tweets and a few other things. I think he had a tunnel in discretion as well. It is interesting. Look, I'm all four players playing at the World Cup. Uh,. I would have loved a four-match ban and send a message to him like, you will miss a World Cup game because of this yeah. and really state that we're behind these refs. But as you said, it sounds... I haven't read any articles. I The only thing I read was apparently he said he was a fucking disgrace. But what you're saying now, even I haven't read... Gone. I just read a, like a line of a heading. Um, would make me believe that there are... He's definitely directed something towards them. They just... No one's been able to pick up what was said and how it was said. Um, so interesting though, very interesting. Obviously you can't speak to refs that way. Sometimes it gets the better of you as a player. Um, Johnny Sexton, pro- I, I imagine he's got a very clean record. I haven't heard of him ever doing anything like this before. Um, but you do have to protect the referees um, because if we didn't have them, we wouldn't have a game. Um, but it is, as you said, interesting point that we've had. Yako again,
1: and as well, just to add on as well that uh, yes, we have talked about Yako a lot this uh, this week um, and his refereeing, uh, and even this Johnny Sexton thing now. But again, we want to reiterate, sort of like what we said earlier in the year, is that uh, when all the uh, Razzie stuff sort of happened and all the stuff about different referees bringing out tweets and stuff like that, never, you should never, it should never be the fans going to their DMs, abusing them and threatening them. That's just, that's not on. You know, no matter what my feelings are towards Yakuza yeah, pipe after that game, that's not something that you do. That's not That takes it above and beyond. You could definitely criticize someone's performance in a public forum like this. Uh, you could even send them a message saying, I think your referee wasn't that good because, hey, that's what happens with everyone. That's what players get as well. But you can't take it that next step further. You can't be threatening them. You can't be going over the top about it. I mean, even the messaging thing I think is borderline probably – Something public, like a public tweet at them, it's probably a little bit more on the level, I guess. But I guess most people have their dams turned off from strangers anyway. Um, just you know, there's public criticism. No one, no one's immune from public criticism, and no one should be immune from public criticism. But where it goes into threatening territory and abusive territory, that's where it, goes, it gets taken too far, and that's what people need to learn. Um, that some things are just are just not on. Um, and so I, I hope no one takes it that far. Uh, and if you do, you should never attend a, a rugby game or watch a rugby game again. Totally. Totally. Australia A. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, once again, not broadcast on he actually put me onto the, the live stream for this one. I didn't even know if it was being played on the Friday. I thought it was being played on the Saturday, um, which shows how well they advertise Australia A. But from what I saw in this game, Australia A were just throwing the ball around like it was a game of touch footy or something when they sort of switched on a bit more in the second half we saw a bit better what they can do you know where they yep. they closed the gap somewhat but this the deficit they found themselves in after the first half was just ridiculous it was ill-disciplined uh and it's everything that was wrong with australian rugby to be to be honest it's poor decision making and poor discipline um and you know there are bright points sure um and the fact they am able to make up the deficit the players getting healthy from injury and things like that as well but it just looked like players went into that without a, a plan, really. Um, it, 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 they looked like they didn't take Tonga seriously, uh, and it backfired them. And that's a great sign for Tonga as well, but it's all sobering for Australia. Um, and you, you can't be doing that. You've got to be better. And Andy Jones has been looking at that and would have been ruthless in picking apart anyone he, he saw making terrible decisions. And that, um, you know, Bernard Foley had probably... One of his worst games in a while i love bernard foley mm-hmm. but he he made some terrible decisions that game that i just didn't understand uh lucky swinton as well right um you know beloved by a lot of aussies for bringing the hammer just again lost his head um and it's just you just can't understand it uh so look there's there's work to be done for australia eh? for sure it's just there's work to be done for the wallabies
0: yeah, and and from the Tonga point of view, what a win! Like again, yep. everyone's saying, "Oh, look, they've got these new names, so they should be winning these games." But it's it's one thing to have those names, and it's another thing to put out the performance yeah. and get the job done. And Petal Falau looked incredible. Peter Aki um looked incredible. The second five, I think they jailed really well. William Havili stepped up big time, um, from his Moana Pacifica uh season. It's it's definitely looked like it's it's added some month there. It gave me a lot of faith in and Pacifica working for Tonga nations as well. Those those islander nations, um, because it was a good mix of those international based players and Mauna Pacifica based players. And boy, they put on a performance. They fronted up. I I thought, yeah, look, their backline was ridiculously talented, and I thought that's where they'd keep themselves in the game. But the front 4 pack definitely fronted up and. Uh, Show to mongrel and I like I was the same with you I watched that game and I was like man Lockie Swinton this is a game for him he's involved in everything he's you know being that bastard that we say you need in a team but he's just gotta just gotta stay on the field man if he can stay on the field I sat there watching him going this is your missing number six this is it this is what you need on the field he'll hit harder he'll tackle harder he will play harder and he just gotta stop doing dumb shit. <laughs>
1: yeah. For for me as well, I was I just back to the Wallabies a little bit. I liked what I saw out of our back rowers. You know, I thought McWright had a good game. Valentini as well was awesome. Holloway was solid when he's in there. But I think actually starting Wallabies back row, I actually reckon Bobby V at six, Langy Gleason at eight, uh Hooper at seven, and then you can rotate those guys as well. Like you can rotate McWright in. Uh, you could, um, and you could sort of move some of the the pieces around there. You know, you could take um, Gleason off at eight, move Valentini back to eight from six, and then bring on another six, like a Holloway, or something, if you need an extra lineout option. Like, uh, it was it was very positive signs there. And yeah, I think Gleason adds an extra dimension to that. Um, but I did like the way that Fraser McWright played as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought I thought he had a good game, and I've <coughs> forever been a fan of. Bobby V at six. I don't know. Like I understand why you're playing at eight, but his best position to me is a six, and uh, I think he will. The, the Wallabies
1: should try and get him there um, by moving someone else there. And yeah, get Gleason on. And you know, exactly. you, yeah, you've got Rob Leota as well. You've got Pete Samu. Like the back row depth for the Wallabies is crazy. Yep. absolutely crazy. Um, and yeah, I I just love to see a bit more variation in that because yeah, Samu and Leota are both really great players. Definitely, Lange Gleeson, I think, as well, is it needs to see all of his colours. Totally.
0: Uh, the All Blacks XV got a win over Japan, a very good win. Billy Proctor scored four tries, um, and they looked good. Uh, Steven Perifetta, again, putting his hand up and making the Blues wonder why they didn't start him at 10 and Bone and Barrett at fullback for most of the season, because, God damn it, he was good again against Japan, which I think... I don't know if that was the Japanese strongest team, but if it was, I think there'll be a, a few alarm bells because it's back-to-back games is conceded, I think, just about 40 points. I think it was 38 in the first game, 42 or something like that in this game, or even 47. Um, so I think there will be a little bit of alarm bells, but I, I'm sure there's still some players uh, that aren't fully fit yet and firing and they're holding back to the World Cup. And, you know, at a World Cup is where Japan puts it on. So we will be watching for them. The under-20s also wrapped up. France got the yeah. W. Congratulations, France. Ireland finishing second. It was South Africa third. England fourth. Wallabies, junior Wallabies fifth. Wales sixth. Baby All Black seventh. Georgia eighth. And then I don't know from there down. Um, so a good top eight. Um, disappointment, I think, for yeah. both our teams to make the, not make the top four, but with the way the tournament's set up, I think a lot of good experience for those young players.
1: And the, the way they finished as well was good. Totally, um, you know, the junior Wallabies especially. Uh, a lot of great names there. Teddy Wilson probably the highlighted name for uh, Waratahs and Wallabies fans uh, as a name for the future. Look out for you know towards the next World Cup. Um, and yeah, it just shows that there is talent in the coming up for Australia.
0: Definitely, definitely, and same for baby um, ab's. I saw Peter Larkay score one of the better tries, um, and it just made my heart skip a beat. You know, and I was like, "That's something that Artie Savia." Sure, would, that's the organ that you want to be talking about. <laughs> Are you sure, that's the right organ. Uh, yes, my friend, that is the right organ. Uh, On to the woman, uh, the Black Ferns won the Pacific Four by beating USA, coming from behind after a early red card. I was a little bit worried at halftime when I saw it was nineteen seven. Um, but the Blackferns dug deep and managed to turn it around. Whereas the Wallaroos were beaten by, I think it was 45-12 or something like that by Canada. It was it was a a, bad, bad, bad loss. Bad loss for them, Very bad loss. which I think they'll be bitterly disappointed. They still qualify for the WXV1 in New Zealand later this year, um, so that's good for them. But again, you can't be losing these games. Um, when you're trying to grow the sport like they are and trying to compete with the Black Ferns, um, especially especially by the the amount it was. But I imagine, I also want to, I don't want to give them an out, but I'm going to give them an out. This is probably the first tour a lot of these girls have ever done. You know what I mean? Like, there's not, they have probably haven't, like, you got to think, back before COVID, when COVID shut everything down, then they had the World Cup in New Zealand, and so they haven't travelled all the way over, Canada and USA and probably play back-to-back games travelling, so a learning experience I imagine, and I imagine a lot of them will take a lot from it, Um, but yeah, bitterly disappointing to lose. On to Coach's Corner, uh, where we talk about the coaches going around um, the rugby world. Now, obviously we've talked a lot about Razzie, he just did the news just purely because all this talk about refereeing and his funny wee tweets, But I did want to touch base on what I think New Zealand is doing really well at the moment, and that's behind Jason Ryan, the um, Ford's coach for the All Blacks, who has just, since he's come on board, absolutely changed the Ford pack. Uh, the uh, I just want to see the outlook of our forward pack, the ruthlessness of our four pack South Africa scored the first ever mall try against the All Blacks when Jason Ryan's been the forward head coach uh on the weekend and even that they defended that mall really well to start off with and it just got a bit unlucky with the way it turned um so I think he'll look at it he'll analyze it because we all know Jason Ryan's fantastic coach now definitely showing it um but he'll be disappointed, but it wasn't the worst defended ball I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I'm just so excited that he's on board. He'll be on board again with Razor um, because whatever he's doing, it's working. We win scrum penalties. Our props are looking the best they've ever looked. He's just done a fantastic job with this four pack. And I'm really excited for him to be staying in and around the All Black setup for as long as possible. Now, onto your. Out of the coach's corner. That was all. That was not a lot of coaches to talk back. Obviously, Eddie's done a lot yeah, of talking, so. but I don't think we'll have him back onto the coach's corner until next week or two weeks from now um, with the rugby championship taking a break and see how he goes at the slow. But Noah Lollosio and Jake Gordon, my friend.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting story here. So uh, they are looking to sign with French top 14 clubs while the World Cup is on because that competition will run the world cup so a lot of french players obviously will be missing that competition a lot of international players will be missing that competition so those top 14 sides need to grab some depth um i think this is a great move um i think this is probably really positive for both these players it's a chance to grow their game learn different style of rugby as well especially for noah such a young playmaker to go over to france and learn from those coaches and from uh, a system that produces good tens as well and good playmakers in general is really good. Um, Jake Gordon as well. Look, he's just a rugby player. It doesn't matter if it's Southern hemisphere, Northern hemisphere. He's just a rugby player. He wants to play rugby. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's good for both of them. Uh, and it probably speaks to what Eddie's thinking of his halfbacks, Nick White, take McDermott one, two, and probably Ryan Lonigan as his third.
0: Yeah. So I'm pretty sure Noah's, Going to sign as a well, they call them medical jokers as a joker rugby world cup joker for too long because Dan Biggar plays there and he'll be going to the world it's cup. Jake J- J- Gordon
1: for Toulon. Jake Gordon looking at Toulon as well because it's uh, Baptiste stepped in on something. Whoever is he's going to be the backup fly uh, half up backup half for France for France.
0: Sweet yeah. So so look like you said it puts them out of contention if they do sign for the rugby world cup, but it's. Not the end of gold jerseys opportunities for them. Um but just an interesting little touch base on that those outer Wallaby exodus that we may see over the next you know, if you don't make those squads and they're looking for medical jokers or Rugby World Cup jokers as we say it, um, I imagine a few more will be brought on board. Um, so just be ready to hear from both but, New Zealand and Wallaby. I think
1: it's the I think it's this is a really I think for Noah Lollis here this is a it's just, it's better for Noah than it is for Jake. Yeah. Right. Because Noah needs to look before the next World Cup. Right. The, the current stable of Wallabies tens is Quade Cooper, Carter Gordon, Bernard Foley. It would seem. Right. Based on Wallabies in Australia A. Um, so he's the fourth man in the three-man um, race. Right. Um, in a three-spot race. Uh, but before the next World Cup, right? Quade's probably not going to play that one. Bernard's probably not going to play in that one. You know. Sure, Johnny Sexton's playing still at 38. I don't think either of those guys are still going to be playing at Wallaby level at 38. So then, who's and Carter Gordon will presumably be the starting ten by that point, and will have led the Wallabies to countless wins since then. <laughs> um, so who's going to be his backup? Who's going to be his understudy? And that's where Noah could slot in quite nicely. Um, you know, that's where he sort of played. You know, he, he showed he could do that at the Brumbies, where Debrasini sort of took a took the starting role, and Noah came in and finished off games. Maybe that's where his strength lies. Maybe that's something he plays towards. Who knows? But, it, you know, there's going to be opportunities for Tens for the Wallabies um, and Australia, you know, in the near future for young guys like him. And I think just the opportunity to play overseas, to learn, uh, and to be out of the Australian media scrutiny, that he's probably one of the most heavily scrutinised Australian players in recent memory, right? Like, uh, in, in terms of purely just um, gameplay, I guess, you know, obviously there's off-the-field stuff with Israel flower being heavily scrutinized, but I think in terms of just their gameplay, he's probably one of the most heavily scrutinized in recent memory with you know, the kid with a lot of promise that hasn't really lived up to it still has a chance to do it though. You now he's very similar to maybe to a James O'Connor where he comes into a late career revival kind of thing. Or it's even that is it's a bit premature saying late career revival, you know, he's three years into professional play or something like that. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's just a chance for him to develop more skills. So I, I really like this move from him and, you know, recognizing where he sits and recognizing that he's going to get better, not sulking about it. You know, he's he's going out and actively looking to prove it. I think Eddie will respect that as well. Totally. Uh... It's, it's, a, it's a big thing. Someone asked me, or someone asked in our uh, football group chat, you know, why isn't Rory Arnold playing? It's because Rory Arnold chose to sit in Japan and not play rugby all year and get paid his contract rather than come back to Super Rugby or another competition, get paid a little bit less. Yeah, but sure. But then play rugby and then maybe be up for Wallaby selection. And that pissed Eddie off. Yeah. Right, So I think he'll like that from Noah that he's not sulking or he's not just sitting on his ass. He's actually going out and seeking more opportunities. He's looking to improve. He's looking to keep playing and keep his skill set up. I think that's something that the new coach will respect.
0: Totally, totally. Uh, obviously, Bledisloe is two weeks away now. Bring on the Slow. Bring on the Bledisloe. Bring on the Bledisloe. Uh So, yeah. for... We, we are going to be releasing a couple of YouTube videos with some challenges coming very soon. So stay tuned on our YouTube for that. But I thought to finish off this podcast, let's discuss a couple of our most memorable moments from Bledisloe. Now, this memorable moment probably is memorable for both sides because of the test match that it was. And so this is my memorable moment. I'll take you back to Sydney, two thousand. 110,000 fans in Stadium Australia in Sydney. Uh, the All Blacks shoot out to a lead. I think it was 24-0. And the Wallabies come back to make it 24 all at half-time. Um, before they take a lead, 35-34 with mere minutes to go, the Wallabies look to have it won. Before the ball goes wide, to Joan Lomu, who goes in untouched and scores to win the game, 39-35 for the All Blacks. And what is considered... The greatest ever test played. What a game! What a Bledisloe moment. Uh, so that is my most memorable Bledisloe moment from the All Blacks.
1: Um, for me, it's hard. Obviously, as a well as it's, <laughs> it's hard to think about what's a really good. There's a couple. There's a couple that you can pick. Look, I think 2019, when Australia stomped New Zealand in Perth, was a, was a is a great one to to think about. A 47 to 26 win. You know, that's like a, it. That's a good memory to have. Um, there's uh, also, I guess, you could uh, look at um, you know, it's other wins by Australia over New Zealand. You know, twenty seventeen in, in Brisbane, for example. Um, but I think it's. I don't think you could say. I think every Wallabies fan has to think of the last time we won the Bledisloe, which is two thousand two, and uh, a tight game in in Sydney as well, 16 to 14, right? That, where we retained the Blederslow for the last time, that's, and that's a faint memory for me, you know? <laughs> that's, that's 21 years ago. Uh, so that for me, the last time we, we raised the Bledisloe has to be my fondest Bledisloe memory because it's hard to have other fond memories since then, you know? Um, you know that's spoken you know, like you know, a true you know,
0: Wallaby fan. <laughs> yeah, it, it,
1: but it's it's realistic, you know? so um i think last year had a chance to to be another memorable one uh if the if the wallabies had pulled that out you know with bernard foley coming in at the last minute all the things that happened with the team um around that time uh had a chance and it, it didn't work out uh so yeah but th- that is what it is <laughs> it just going it just means that when we we win it next it's going to be all the more sweet
0: you've got to win it first and that's the issue
1: <laughs> it's statistically likely to happen.
0: <laughs> it is. It is. But yep. for now, that is us done. Been one hell of a weekend for myself. For you, probably a bit of a struggle. We get it. It's a tough Monday. But bring on the slow, eh, right, said
1: the, the, the Blues won Origin 3, so that's keeping Oh, yeah, ready, yeah. Right? They I got you going. into a total pit of despair. <laughs>
0: yeah, that would have been bad. You would have been in some and real trouble. I went...
1: S- I went seven out of seven in my NRL tipping. So, oh, there you go. Look at you. Yep. You know, you yep. got to take the take the little wins. Touch footy on Sunday had a great game as well. So, you know, that's oh,
0: look at you, look at you, buddy. Well, taking
1: out my frustration of the Wallabies game into into playing touch pass, touch footy, <laughs> footy,
0: putting on some side steps, even chucked out a fin. That's how angry you got. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, Look the, uh, yeah, the five foot one lady we play with didn't appreciate the palm to the forehead but <laughs> gotta teach her a that lesson. Hurt, this is how the wallabies should play.
0: Yeah. Um Yeah, exactly. Exactly <laughs> right. You know, no holds bar.
1: You know, don't be afraid of anyone and don't take it easy on anyone. There
0: you go. There you go. Bring on the bladder slow. Bring on the bladder slow. Yes. All right. That's it's us for be, another it's week. It's gonna
1: be a great game. I can't wait to see what Eddie Eddie can do between now and then, what roster decisions he makes. Card Gordon starting a ten. You know, don't put Matt Phillip in the squad, you know, things like that, you know, just love can't wait to see what he does. Not Tom, Wright. Tom Wright Uh, will be starting
0: fullback and then (laughs) all hope will be lost.
1: (laughs) I know. Well, well, you know, look, I would love, I'd absolutely, there's nothing I love more than, uh, than players who I've lost faith in proving me wrong. I would love that to happen. I'd love, I'd love for a switch to be flicked for Tom Wright where he just understands that, as a fullback, I've got to hold on to the ball and not <laughs> knock it on in my own 22. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love for that switch to be flicked and for him to, to be a good fullback. Um, I'd love for him to prove me wrong. I'd love for him to shut me up. I'd love that to happen. Love that to happen. I don't
0: think it will, though. <laughs> there it is. Thank you for joining us. I have been Luke. Prove me that wrong. Has been Husey. We will talk to you next time, uh, which will be preparing for the Blair Slow a week closer in a week's time. So we'll see you there for now. Thank you for joining us. Goodbye. Peace.